Proverbs 14, verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Not some wise woman, not, not some wise woman or just a few, but every wise woman, part of what makes her wise is she builds her house, her home. Now, not that I have anything against women construction workers, but this is not talking about a woman with nails, you know, pounding on boards. This is talking about a woman morally, morally and spiritually and emotionally nurturing her home, her house. You know, the husband is the leader of a home, but the woman is the builder. She builds the home morally and spiritually. Of course, the man is part of that too. Uh, the husband's part of that too. But uh, that is a woman's, uh, woman's calling when she is, um, uh, you know, um, uh, rather a married woman's calling is to build her house. And so, uh, you know, in our day, unfortunately, the cost of living is such that uh, many women have to work outside of the home uh, but at some level there's got to be sacrifice so that she can build her home build her house time to spend time and invest in the kids invest in her husband the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Verse 2. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse or twisted in his ways despises him. You can't just run around living however you want to live, living in the world with the world, and at the same time, sort of be giving giving praise to God anytime you're in the public eye. You know, I love it personally when football players or whoever give glory to God after a game. But man, if they, as soon as they leave the the spotlight, if they go back and live a perverse or twisted lifestyle, this says God despises. They actually, they despise the Lord. So they may be uh, saying with their lips they love God and thank you, God, for winning this game. But the way we really love God is we obey Him. We obey His Word. Verse 3 says, In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. In Hebrew, that word rod means something shooting out. It's a word shooting out. Proud words. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. Verse 4. A wonderful, wonderful verse. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean or the barn is clean. But much increase comes by the strength of of an ox. Now, what on earth 
does that mean? Where no oxen are? The barn is clean? What's all this about? Why is this in the book of Proverbs? Well, actually, this is a, a verse that we quote a lot around uh, here, at least uh, the pastors do. What this is really talking about here is that when you have ox in the barn, what happens? There's poop. There's poop all over the place. There's smell. There's problems. That's what happens. And it's the same way, um, you know, with a church. If there's real ministry going on, I mean, if you are really, if if a church is really seeking the Lord and there's ministry going on, there is going to be poop lying around. There's going to be smell. There's going to be a mess. You know, sometimes um, sometimes it's really easy uh, for a pastor, I certainly ha- uh, have been guilty of this, of just getting all bummed out because, oh, I just can't believe all these problems. You know, these few people over here, they're not getting along. You know, this is going on here and that person refuses to do things the way they're supposed to do stuff. And then I remember when there's ox in the barn, there's poop in the barn. Praise the Lord. Because if there's no, if there's no oxen, oh yeah, everything's going to be clean. If, the, if, the, if, 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 if there's no ministry really going on, everything's just going to be a breeze. Everything's going to be a breeze. And so, praise the Lord, when the oxen's in the barn, there's work to do. And, and, and rather than getting a bitter about it, really, it's something to rejoice in. And that really, really uh, is the case. Verse five, uh, verse 5, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer, verse 6, seeks wisdom. And does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Verse 7, from the presence of a foolish man, when you do not perceive in him, rather it says, go from the presence of a foolish man. Go or flee from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. You know, there are certain times where you, you're around a person, you just got to bolt. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if you, you, you get what I'm talking about. I hope you do. You know, you'll be hanging out in a group of people or with certain people and that they're clearly, the, what is coming from their mouth is just not okay. And this is just talking about Leave, flee, go. Don't be a part of it. Don't join yourself uh, to it. Not, you know, not in every situation that we get in can we confront someone for what they're saying. Most of the time, we just need to leave. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. But the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin. But among the upright there is favor. It says fools mock 
at sin. You know the literal translation there? Anyone have an NIV out there? Who has an NIV? What does that say? I'm sorry to put you on the spot. So NIV says, fools mock at making amends for uh, sin. Actually, the literal translation there is fools mock at guilt. It's like, oh, this per- look at that person. They're guilty because, you know, they just uh, spent the night, you know, wasted. Or they just were in some, you know, one-night stand. And look at, they're guilty about it. Fools mock at that. There's a sanctified shame that's from the Lord. Guilt is something that is really... Uh, given to us as a, it's really, it's from God uh, to protect us and to drive us uh, to the Lord. It's just people mock at sin. Of course, nowadays, uh, you can't, if you go out witnessing, and I, by the way, Saturday Night Witnessing, you leading Saturday Night Witnessing this week? Uh, feel free to come on out and, and witness on Saturday nights. One of the things you'll find out is you can't just use the word sin and not explain it because people don't even know what it means. Uh, you, you have to explain what sin is. It's going against God's word is really the, probably the simplest uh, version of it. They, they, it but, but, you know, sometimes when you use the word sin, it's just mocked act. Oh, sin. Can you believe he's using that word? You know, they've tried to remove it. Uh, from our vocabulary. Verse 10. The heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. In other words, there's something, sometimes things in your life no one's going to be able to relate to other than the Lord. And that includes not only bitterness, that includes just wonderful things. <laughs> yeah, have you ever... Th- you know, you, have, you, have you ever been blessed in such a way you just want to share it with someone, but it becomes clear as you try to share it, no one else really feels your your joy? It's the same thing with bitterness, and it's the same thing with um, with joy. Uh, this week I was with uh, Pastor Tony Marinelli, who is the pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, Cape Cod, and you know, for a couple of years now, he's been blind. Uh, he's actually been in this pulpit three or four times uh, when the church got started up. He's blind and he can't talk, and, and this past week his appendix burst. It's just unbelievable. Actually, we can pray for him tonight. But, you know, I shared this with him. Look, Tony, uh, I, I, I read this to him. I said, uh, you know, the heart knows its own bitterness. And I, I, I told him, I, I can't understand what you're going through. Uh, but, but I can pray for you. And, and we shouldn't try to pretend that we know what people are going through. That is, uh, that, that's, a fo- that's folly. We don't want to do that. But we can pray for them. And, and you know, a, a lot of t- you know, the reason God has wired us like this, that only we know our own bitterness and only we know our own joy, is because, uh, you know, th- there are times in our life where, he alone wants to be the one we share our bitterness with or our joy with. Now, I, I, you, you think of David and, and the, the hardship that he went through after Samuel crowned him king or anointed him king. For ten years, he had to wait to become king. And in that time period, he was running away from Saul, living in the 
open fields and in caves and in everywhere he went, people would rat him out. People were slandering him, accusing him of things he couldn't uh, do. And it's, you know, it's interesting um, what happened to him. You know, first he w- first, you know, he went to his wife, Michael, and uh, God removed Michael uh, uh, from his life. And then if you uh, read there in First Samuel, he he goes to um, uh, he goes to actually Samuel himself, Samuel the prophet. God removes Samuel from him. He goes to Jonathan, who is his best friend. God removes Jonathan uh, from him. God just wanted uh, David alone. That's where he he got him there in the cave uh, of Adullam. We can read it, you read about that in the in the in the Psalms, where the Lord, you know. He's the only one that can know our bitterness or in some circumstances our joy. And, and he's, he's made us like that uh, for a reason because he doesn't want, not that we shouldn't share our bitterness or uh, share our joy, but uh, supremely he wants to be the place, uh, the one that we come to uh, and, and pour out our heart. <clears throat> Verse 12, there is a way that seems Oops, did I go? I skipped verse 11. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. I think of Abraham. Lived his whole life in tents, at least after he left Babylon or, or the land, uh, the, the Ur, where he uh, came from. He lived his own uh, whole life in tents. He was a righteous man. It says the tent of the upright will flourish. But yet the house of the wicked will be overthrown. People, particularly in the United States of America, have this idea that the house is their security. And we we need to look at this. You know, verse 11. The Bible says we are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are temporary citizens. We are tent dwellers, if you will. The Bible says. The tent of the upright will flourish. Verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Or the NIV says, or in the end, it is death. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it actually it leads to death, which is what the NIV says. That's one of the best witnessing verses in the Bible. It's actually repeated again in chapter 16, the, ex- uh, the exact same verse. There's a way that seems right to man. In the end, it's, it leads to death. You know, you'll be out witnessing on the streets, and you, you, you're, you, you know, you, the way we do it here at Calvary Chapel on Saturday nights, you just walk up to people. Hey, you know, we're just talking to people about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? Who is he? And uh, this type of thing. And so often you, you, you'll get to share with someone and, and they, say, they respond and say, well, here's what I think. And then they'll go on and say something. Or they'll say, you know, the way I see it. And, you know, they, they go on and they, and they sort of have a all roads to heaven sort of religion or, or something uh, like that. But I love to quote this this verse when I'm out witnessing. There's a way that seems right to man. It, yeah, it, you're right. It seems right. The way I look at it, yeah, it seems right. But in the end, it leads to death because really the only thing that matters is what happens in the end, right? And really it doesn't matter what 
it doesn't matter at all. I mean, who really cares what you think about God? It's what the Word of God says about himself that matters. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go therein. That doesn't seem right to man. <laughs> they just don't, they don't think that way is right. That's what the Word of God teaches. And so, uh, memorize that one for, for, for witnessing. Verse 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. Backsliding. What is backsliding? Backsliding is when a person goes down and and makes a decision to sort of plant themselves back in the in the world. Uh, if you're going out, so if you're leading your Christian life and um, you're following the Lord and uh, you go out and you get into a terrible argument with someone and punch them in the face, uh, that's not necessary. That's not good, and it's sin, but it's not necessarily backsliding backsliding if you as long if, if you come back and you repent the next day of that you're not really a backslider backslider is someone who goes back and just plants themselves in the world now you hear sometimes people say well you know they're they're, they're giving their testimony they you know in october 2008 i backslid and i stayed in a backslidden state for two years well no they didn't backslide in October 2008. They backslid before that. And that's what this verse teaches. The backslider in heart. You backslide in your heart before you act it out. And, and, and that absolutely is, is the case. And that's why we read the verse a few weeks ago that, you know, above all things, guard your heart for from it uh, flow the issues of life. Backsliding starts in the heart. And that's why we must guard it. Uh, so much. Another thing about backsliding, um, a couple of the things. You know, I, I became a, a, a Christian, started walking with the Lord uh, in a denomination that, you know, I heard testimonies continuously fr- from people that were the, a series of rededications to the Lord, then they would backslide for a year, then they'd rededicate, and then they would backslide. And you'd listen to these uh, these these testimonies and that's it's never the will of God for you to backslide. It just isn't. This, and the Lord told me early on, backsliding is not Steve. Backsliding is not going to be a part of your life. He just told as plain as almost it wasn't an audible voice, but it was so clear the way he uh, told me that. And it's not even in the Bible that like the normal Christian life you're supposed to backslide every two years. It just isn't. But one thing that I've noticed about sort of the culture of backsliding, you get in these church cultures where people almost get a a free pass to three backslides, you know. It's just how it is. One thing I've noticed is that each time someone comes back from a a backslide, they're worse than the previous time. Um, I noticed the same thing, by the way, about mental illness, where people sort of, they go psychotic. 
psychotic. Each time, it's it, they go to a sort of a deeper level of it. And backsliding is the same way. And that's why it's just this culture of backsliding that's in some denominations is, is just so awful because each time it gets worse and each time when the people come back, they're in a worse place than the last time they came back from it. Does that make sense? Like each time they come back from it, they're worse than the last time they come back from it. And and um, I have a, a dear friend of mine, and I, I've just seen him over the years in, in a series of backslides. And each time, and it's like, oh man, it's like you're you're meeting a person that just they're they're drifting away. And it's it all starts. This verse says, in the heart. But the latter end of the verse says, but a good man will be satisfied from above. A good man will be satisfied from above. And I like, you know, in Colossians where it says, set your mind on things above and not on things of the world. A good man's going to be satisfied by what he finds in heaven. Verse 15, the simple believe every word, but the prudent considers well. His steps. And so, you know, the Bible does say love believes at all times. But the Bible also says, you know, be wise as a serpent. Uh, and so I can't reconcile those things. I really can't. You know, we, we do need to have. Yep. Okay, I'll go back. Verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow. Verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. I'll let that verse speak for itself. It's, it, the verse is just so chock full of wisdom, I, I can't have any commentary in it. <laughs> Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and, and uh, the end of mirth may be grief. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Verse 15. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his death. So I can't reconcile the fact that the, that the Bible teaches love believes at all times or trusts at all times and believes at all things. And so generally our attitude needs to be when people come to us, we need to accept them at their word, period. It's just not loving to constantly be suspicious of every word that's said to you. That's not loving. But yet at the same time, the Bible does speak of a spirit of discernment uh, that we need to have, that a shepherd needs to have, that a pastor uh, needs to have, that really everyone needs to have, unless you be drawn into uh, a way that's going to, apart from where the Lord uh, wants you uh, to be. And so um, that's why it's so important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And only a man or woman who's filled with the Holy Spirit you know, can you reconcile these two things? Love believes at all times. Love believes at all times. But the Bible, Jesus also says, but be wise as a serpent. Be careful, discern, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Verse 16, a wise man fears and departs from evil. And a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly and a man of wicked intentions is hated now 
Anger is not sin in and of itself. Jesus overturned tables in the temple. Remember also in in the book of Matthew, I think maybe also in Luke, where he went into the synagogue in Capernaum and it was Sabbath and there was a man there withered and says before he healed the guy, he was angry because he he knew all the, the, the Pharisees there knew that they didn't want him to heal this guy. And this made Jesus angry. It says he, it said he was angry at that. So the Bible does speak about be angry, but but sin not. You just need to be careful because so oftentimes I hear people call their their anger righteousness when it's not anything like that at all. And a, a simple rule is this. If if you're angry because your pride has been hurt or you have been personally offended, that's sin. It's so easy. So if you go up to a bank teller and um, it's five minutes of five o'clock closing time and they say, sorry, I don't want to I don't want to serve you, and they shut the window, and you're angry. That's sin. You may say that's ridiculous. That's not sin. I'm, that's righteous anger. No, you, that's your, 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 you've just been personally offended. Now, we're all susceptible in that in, in that instance to uh, to be getting angry. But what does First Corinthians chapter thirteen it say? It says, "Love is not provoked to anger." Love is not provoked to anger. It's a high standard. What can I say? Uh, it's what the Word of God says that, that you know, I, I didn't make it up. It's what the Word God says, of God says. And when a man or woman is filled by the Holy Spirit and they're not provoked to anger in those situations, oh man, are they a light to the world. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly and a man of wicked intentions is hated. Verse 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. And we see, you see examples of this in the Word of God. I think of, again, I use him in an illustration a couple of weeks ago, Shimei, when Dakin David was leaving Jerusalem, was throwing rocks at, at, at David and uh, insulting him. When David came back into Jerusalem, he was, that guy Shimei was bowing down before the good, you know, pleading for mercy. Verse 20, the poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Now, there are certain Proverbs, this is one, which just they show a picture of the world. And, and you know, the verse is not saying that this is like a good thing, that a poor man is hated by his own neighbor, and that, you know, the rich tend to have friends. It's just, it's just a picture of the world and how lost the world is. The world is so lost that if a man is poor and has no money, he's, he's disregarded by people. That's not a good thing. And, and the proverb here is, is, is just pointing this out. And, and a rich person, you know, the prodigal son, had lots of friends when he had lots of money. But as soon as he lost it, lost his money, he lost his friends. And so just a commentary uh, on on life here and what a wonderful you know how wonderful it is when 
when we get saved and we're brought into the body of Christ and we're in the book of Acts, which talks about the poor when they're uh, when the poor are in need. You actually have people selling their possessions to meet the need. How different are these two worlds? You have a world where there's just love and there's love for the poor. And there's, the Bible says God is not a respecter of persons. Just because someone's rich, they're not given any kind of privilege in the church. Verse 21, He who despises his neighbor sins. And we talked about this last week because there's a very similar proverb, I believe, that we read about last week. Look, if you despise your neighbor, you sin. Why? Among other things, God put that neighbor right next to you because he knew that you needed to have that person in your life to conform you into the image of Christ. Those people who God has put around you that, you, you know, you despise. Well, you're despising the, the, the refining fire of the Lord is what you're doing. But he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. See, that that is the kingdom of God right there. Someone who has mercy on the poor. They're happy. Verse 22. Do they not go astray who devise evil? But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good or who plan good. Planning to do good. You know, planning to do good takes a long time. I think of the administration involved in being a pastor and involved in leadership of the church. There's an amazing amount of administration that goes on behind the scenes. Pray for Pastor Scott. Oh, how he needs your prayer. All the administration that he does. Completely behind the scenes. He's going to get his reward in heaven. Or maybe I just robbed you of some of your reward because I'm telling everyone about it. Uh, uh, <laughs> but um, it takes time to plan good. But it says mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. And so mercy and truth belong to Pastor Scott. Amy is filled with mercy and truth. She's been given to him. Mercy and truth belong to Scott. I really believe that. The, 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 that the Lord gives people who, who are, have these administrative gifts, they, they give them spouses and they surround them with people with, who are merciful and, and good uh, to them. But it takes time to plan good. It really does. Verse 23, In all labor, labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. People who sit around and talk about what they're going to do, but they never do anything. Ah, yes. That's what the flesh does. It just sits around and talks and never even really leads to anything. Verse 24, The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. A true witness delivers souls. Praise the Lord. Talked about that this morning. We want joy in our life. Share Jesus. Love your neighbor. 
bless those at work and in your family and tell them about Jesus. It's Jesus that is going to set them free. A true witness delivers uh, souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. In the fear of the Lord, verse 26, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. Parents, write this down. This is another one of those promises that we read in the Proverbs about uh, staying and persevering with the Lord. Your children will have a place of refuge. And I believe what this means is a place of refuge with the Lord. This is speaking about their relationship with the Lord. You know, I got to tell you, we're, we are living now in a generation, particularly in New England, where people are growing up utterly unchurched. And I got to tell you, when those parents who deliberately and intentionally raise their kids that way, when they release them to college, there's no place of refuge for those people. There's not a place of refuge. And, you know, pl- praise the Lord, you know, for, for men and women who have the courage to raise their kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that when they release those kids, there is a place of refuge for them. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to turn away from the snares of death. Verse 28, in a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. And so government does rely upon not only people, but the consensus of people. Verse 29, he who is slow to wrath, slow to anger, has great understanding. Again, I've spent many, many years in the corporate world. And one thing I've noticed, even of people who do not know the Lord, if they can just hold their tongue and hold their temper, they will go places. It's just a fact. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. And some people just, who aren't even Christians, they just understand that. They understand if they can just hold their tongue, they will get ahead. And many, you know, many people in the world get ahead simply by borrowing principles from the Bible. But he who is impulsive exalts folly. A sound heart, verse 30, is life to the body. But envy is rottenness to the bones. Another theme in Proverbs is that our physical health in many ways tied to our emotional health. We're integrated. Human beings are. Our emotions and our you know, physical body. And I'm, you know, some of you science guys know way more about this than I ever could. But I just, just heard uh, about a story about um, this. I can't remember if it was a woman or a man who was having grand mal seizures with, with some frequency. And Uh, Actually, this person 
was in a was in a church, a Christian, and when they brought the person in for counseling, and some things happened, some things came out about being sexually abused as a child, and they sort of worked through that with this person, and the seizures completely stopped. They came to a complete end. You know, the stress and anxiety that produces acid in our bodies that's just not healthy for our bodies. It really is the case. A sound heart, verse 30, is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bone. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. God help you if you're in some way oppressing the poor because you are reproaching. You are really coming against their maker. But he who honors him, honors the Lord, has mercy on the needy. Verse 32, the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. Praise the Lord (laughs) that even in death we have refuge. To be absent with the, from the body is to be present with the Lord. Verse 33, wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. Righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. You know, so, you know... A nation, if, if, if our country, the United States, continues a moral decline, we will decline as a nation. It's just a, a fact. But sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is towards a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes Shame. Okay, chapter 15. A soft answer turns away wrath. Try it this week. I guarantee you, you will have an opportunity. But a harsh word stirs up anger. I have a question for you. I just, I don't want you to... To shout out the answer. Sometimes I do. Not, not this time. But when you get into a, a situation, you walk into a situation where it's, it's sort of heated at work or at home or wherever. Does your behavior turn up the temperature or does your behavior turn down the temperature? And I speak to this to my own heart. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How we need the Holy Spirit. You know, because some of us, look, you know, we weren't born with soft answers in our body. (laughs) This is not wired like that. We need the Holy Spirit. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. Listen to that again. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. You know, how many times have I seen people use their knowledge in the, of the Bible incorrectly by either, you know, using it as a machine gun to beat people down or 
boasting about their knowledge of the Bible. Of course, you can boast. Of, it doesn't need to be knowledge of the Bible. It can be knowledge of anything. This is talking about using knowledge rightly. But the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keeping watch on the evil and the good. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What you do behind closed doors is every bit as much before the Lord as what you do right here at church. Every bit as much before the Lord. What you do behind church, but behind closed doors. And, and you know, when our heart really embraces what I just read about in Hebrews 4.13, that our lives are just naked before Him. And He knows every thought, every thing that we do it just will radically transform your life when your heart embraces that and he's as much your lord in private as he is uh when he's in a church like this I, you know i think of the tongue you know and the privacy of a, of your car you know you're all by yourself someone swerves you off the road or something you know what's your language like <laughs> you know you're using words that you would never ever use and public but you're using them uh, uh you're using them there and you know we talked a couple weeks ago about the importance of having a wholesome tongue because of how it affects others but really even if no one's around the lord's there you know honor the lord with our lips verse four says a wholesome tongue here we go is a tree of life Ever get a word of encouragement at exactly the right time? A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. You know, Guillermo and Sue just got married, and we heard some testimonies about Guillermo. And on uh, Friday night, some folks were encouraging him, and he's just—he's the, the guy's got a—he's a wonderful example of a guy who has a wholesome tongue. Period. This is wonderful that what he utters, what he speaks—it's just wholesome. And this says it's a tree of life. Praise the Lord for that testimony. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Breaks the spirit. You know, kids, it's okay to bend the will of a kid. Or even break their will if they have a will that's just disobeying the Lord. But it's not okay to break their spirit. An unwholesome tongue will break the spirit of a child or anyone for that matter. Verse 5, a a fool despises his father's instruction. Another theme in the book of Proverbs. But he who receives correction is prudent. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. Being in a house where mom and dad love the Lord, there's a lot of treasure there. But in the, re- in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge. But the heart of the fool does not do so. The sa- verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked 
is an abomination to the Lord. I always think of Amos. Pastor Scott, you teach on Amos on Friday night? I don't know if Pastor Scott talked about Amos chapter 5, which it, it says, this is the Lord speaking, I hate, I, dis- I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. For I will not hear their melodies of, of the stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And so the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. If we're just showing up to church, but we're going out during the week and being disobedient to the Lord, that is an abomination. I remember uh, this this person who used to uh, to do some work for us used to brag about how many women he'd slept with. And one of the things he said was, though, is that he always came back, but I never miss church, ever. He goes, if I'm in bed on a Sunday morning with a woman, you know, I don't care how much she wants me to stay. I leave and I go to church. Well, the Bible says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But more importantly, the prayer of the upright is His delight. Ever wonder how you can delight the Lord? Sounds like a crazy thing that we can do something that the Lord is actually delighted in. Prayer. God, bring revival to New England, to Boston. God delights in that. You know, when our kids you know, ask us for something over and over and over again. You know, they, they, they want something. And, you know, by the 15th time, it, it gets really old. It's not so with the Lord. He delights in the prayer of the upright. Lord, you know, help me today. I, I, I don't know if I can, uh, I can get through this day. The Lord delights in that. Lord, I sin today. I really mess up. The Lord delights in that. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. The Lord delights in that. You feel miserable sometimes because you you know you feel like you haven't really done anything to please the Lord. All you have to do is pray. <laughs> That's all you have to do. And 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 he will be, uh, be delighted in that. Lord, I pray for our kids in Haiti. The Lord delights in that. When was the last time you were alone on your knees with Jesus? I hope you make that a regular thing in your life. I really do. The Lord delights in it. He delights in it. That's a sermon, in it, a whole entire sermon. That, that half of a verse there. The prayer of the upright is his delight. Verse 9. The way of the wicked is an abomination um, to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. He loves him who follows, who pursues righteousness. Verse 10. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. 
The way of the transgressor is hard. We read that last week. And he who hates correction will die. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. Wow. I mean, I I really don't know what to say about this one. All eternity is, is just sort of out there before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the sons of men. Verse 12, a scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. That's always, that's the case, you know, that's why we talk about if there's, if there's a lack of joy in our, our, our lives, that's, that's normal, that's part of our fallen condition, but we have, to, we have to pursue the Lord because having that joy affects our countenance and our countenance affects everybody around us. And we can't love people. We can't if we go just weeks on end with a downcast countenance. That's not loving people. That's why it's important to to seek the Lord. But by the sorrow of the heart, verse 13 says, the spirit is broken. The heart of, verse 14, the heart of him who understands seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Verse 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. We've That's been another thing. Better is dinner. Listen to this one, verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Now, a vegetarian reads this verse and they're like, wait, I don't get this. What's this about? You know, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Verse 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. A lot about laziness in the book of Proverbs, in the Bible. But the way of the upright is a highway. A wise son makes a father glad. My son Sam makes me glad. Not because he gets good grades and very, very, very high marks on his SAT. Or was I not supposed to share that? I'm sorry. But really, that's nothing to do with why he makes me glad. He makes me glad because he's a godly young man. He makes me glad. You make me glad, Sam. Praise the Lord. But a foolish man despises his mother. We need to find a way to honor our mothers. Now, a regular part of me counseling in this church is what do you do with a mom or a dad who is a fool or acts like a fool or is constantly acting inappropriately? We have to find a way to honor our parents. <laughs> you know, as kids, we're told to obey. As children, rather, are told to obey their parents. Once you're out of the home, you're told to honor, our, honor your parents, not obey them, honor them. And for every every situation, it's... You know, it's different. You can't despise your mom or dad, 
though they may, you know, you may think they need, they deserve it. It's just, you know, the the Bible says, the Exodus chapter twenty, the Ten Commandments, honor your father. And mother. So a, a foolish man is the one who despises his mother. Verse 21. Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment. But a man of understanding walks uprightly. Without counsel, plans go awry. So if you're a wise person, you don't go off and do things in your life without counsel. You surround yourself with people who are wise or you go seek counsel. You know, it's it's... As a pastor, as, a, as someone who, who who shepherds people, it, it it always it hurts me to see people make like major life decisions without really going anywhere and seeking counsel. The Bible says, "Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established." So we've seen this verse before. Verse twenty-three: A man is joy by the answer of his mouth. So you can probably relate to this. Every once in a while, the Lord just tells you exactly what you're supposed to say. Just exactly. And there's a joy in that. Now, the joy can turn into pride, and that's a problem. But um, there's joy when the Lord does give us uh, the right answer, the right moment. And a word spoken in due season. How good it is! Verse 24, the way of life winds upward. For the wise. So Paul in Philippians talks about the upward calling of Jesus Christ. That he may turn away from hell below. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. But he will establish the boundary of the widow. That's an encouragement. The Lord, so much in the Bible about widows, orphans, immigrants, aliens. And how the Lord loves them cares about them, how we are supposed to care from verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. Verse 27. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. Many, many opportunities for us to give bribes in Haiti as we have an orphanage there and I won't go into great detail, but he who hates bribes will live is a good motivation for me to, to, to not pay bribes. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Now, that's a good one. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. You know, so many times in my life I've said the right thing in the wrong way. Ugh. Can't even count how many times I have been guilty of that. Saying the right thing, saying truth, but saying it with the wrong tone of voice. Just in you know, just the, the wrong kind of uh, uh, of way. But the, it says that the heart of the righteous, though, studies how to answer. Look at verse thirty. I'll come back to verse 28, but it says that the light of the eyes rejoice the heart. So when we, when we, we need to say the right thing in the right way. And, and a lot of times it's just the light of our eyes. 
is what's important when we're communicating truth. It's just the light of our eyes it, and where people see, they can see our heart and that we love them. <laughs> and it's just so important that we study how to answer, how to respond. But the mouth of the wicked pours uh, forth evil. Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears the prayer of the righteous. Again, verse 30, the light of the eyes re- uh, rejoices the heart. Meaning when someone's talking to you and there's just light coming from their eyes, it makes you rejoice, doesn't it? And a good report makes the bones healthy. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. There's so much in the Proverbs about receiving rebukes and correction. Verse 32, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul. But he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord, verse 33, is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. I pray on a regular basis. Lord, I'm coming into this situation. I just want to be able to give humility. That's what I want, Lord. I want to be able to offer up humility in the situation. Here we're we're reminded one of the rewards of that before honor is humility. Okay, praise God. We will stop there this evening.